Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to the Kicking Out of Two crew. Happy birthday to you. That's right. That is right. It is a birthday celebration as we here at Kicking Out of Two are celebrating the one year anniversary of its existence. I would like to thank you all so very much for joining me this week for this very celebratory podcast experience. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, the same guy that's been driving this train for over a year now. I'm back again and, uh, I just want to take a, a moment to thank you all for being a part of this journey with me. It's been a lot of fun in the last year. I've made some great friends and some some interacted with some more wrestling fans. Um, for instance, Kobe Nida and I have launched the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, Kicking Out at Two, Marking Out the Days, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, and so many other great shows. A part of that network, you can find that on just about any podcast platform there is, uh, but more importantly, over on Podbean. So uh, check that out. You can find archive shows of all the shows I just mentioned as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, yeah, I mean, before we get into this week's subject, uh, I, I just want to, like I said, I want to thank you all for 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 being a part of this with me. Um, this is a passion of mine. This is a hobby, but it's also a, a big passion of mine. I love wrestling. It's my it, it's my mistress, so to speak. Um, <laughs> sometimes my wife doesn't like it when I spend time with my mistress, but um, I, I want to be the first to thank her as well for, um, a, you know, for, for, for supporting me in this this journey of mine. It's been a lot of fun. Um, she helped me start the Kicking Out of Two Facebook page. I had some issues with Facebook, um, not allowing me to create my own page which I thought was a little strange but anyhow um, needless to say uh, she's been a big supporter in this and she's had some guest appearances on this show um, from time to time and hopefully we'll have more of uh, the first lady of kicking out it too on future editions but um, yeah just a big thank you to everyone all the supporters everyone that's been a part of this friends family people out there on social media thank you so very much gotta walk before you you gotta crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run and that's what I plan to do with this journey with uh, kicking out it too another person I'd like to thank as well my brother Justin he's been a big part of this big play caller helping me come up with some ideas for shows uh, as well as uh, helping manage some of the social media aspect of it it's just some advice he's given me on future shows and shows from the past so I uh, just want to take the time to thank my brother Justin for being a part of that as well um, newly married by the way yes newly married congratulations had a great time as always at his wedding um, you know us Rosenbluths know how to party some of us know how to party a little too much much. But nonetheless, um, great time is had by all. Justin, I hope you're enjoying your honeymoon uh, with you and your lovely bride, Laura, my new sister. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to having you back on very, very soon. Um, yeah, so last year when I debuted this podcast, I, I brought you guys a pilot. And it was a watch-along that I did by myself, which I'll never do again <laughs> because it was just exhausting. And I'm sure it was exhausting for you guys just to listen to one voice. Um, I, we did a watch-along of the WCW Bash at the Beach pay-per-view event from 1996. That was the night that Hulk Hogan had turned his back on all the Hulkamaniacs and became the, uh, the, the, the leader of the New World Order, forming that with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I thought, let's stick with the Bash in the Beach theme, you know, come full circle with this one year. And instead of doing a watch-along, we're going to bring you guys our Trading Places series, and we're going to cover an event that Hulk Hogan made his WCW day 
debut at, and that's Bash at the Beach 1994. All the what-ifs, the woulda, coulda, shouldas in the world of wrestling for WCW at that time. Like I said, on this show, especially this year, I've been covering a lot of uh, important events from 1994. The Royal Rumble match, WrestleMania 10. did a watch-along with my good buddy Jamie Garabedian. The last time we did a Trading Places on, uh, on a WCW event, it was WCW Spring Stampede 1994, one of the last pay-per-views before um, Hulk Hogan made his debut at this event, WCW Bash at the Beach 1994. So on the one-year anniversary of me debuting the 96 Bash at the Beach pilot episode for Kicking Out at Two, I thought, let's just stick with the Bash at the Beach vibe, and it's summertime, and the living ain't easy, so why don't we just give you, uh, you know, one of my favorite concepts in Kicking Out at Two that my brother Justin helped create, and that is the Trading Places series, where we take an event uh, and we... We, we, we flip the results and we try to realistically map out the trajectory of those particular characters following the storyline had those results been flip-flop. So um, without further ado, before we also get into that, you can find us over on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have hit the like button, be a part of all the fun that we're doing over there on Facebook. Uh, there's links to archive shows as well on Facebook, not just over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, but you can find those links for kicking out of two on the Facebook page. Pictures, great discussions and debates some videos, articles, all the retro pro wrestling fun that I envisioned is over there on Facebook and facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. The same goes for our Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out two, K I C K N O U T in the number two. Um, the following is not as strong as Facebook. It's been a year since I launched this Twitter and, you know, hoping that, you know, as time goes on, we will get to that point. So if you have a Twitter and you like wrestling and you like retro pro wrestling, then by all means, do me a favor, give me a follow at kicking out two. Same kind of fun over there. They were having it on Facebook, but we're having it on Twitter with a little smaller of an audience and 140 to 220 characters or less. And as well as, you know, uh, the, the, the fun that I try to implement nostalgia and fun with my tag team partner from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, the flagship show, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. I'm talking about my good buddy, Kobe Nida. Each and every Saturday, you can find that show available on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over at Podbean as we discuss WCW Saturday Night and WWF Superstars from 1992. As they say, Saturdays are for wrestling, so check it out each and every week over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, and you can search for that podcast on any podcast platform available by searching Retromania. So be on the lookout for that each and every Saturday over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. All right, let's continue this birthday celebration with our WCW Bash at the Beach 1994 Trading Places. This event is the debut event of uh, the debut of Hulk Hogan in World Championship Wrestling, his pay-per-view debut. Um, Hogan had signed with WCW WCW uh, just a, a couple of months prior, and he was introduced to television in um, in uh, June of, uh, of of that year, and he was without a doubt the biggest acquisition that company had uh, had, had had ever gotten. Um, I mean, Hulk Hogan made a name for himself in the WWF. He put wrestling on the map, or he was one of the big reasons why wrestling went mainstream. And WCW was bringing, you know. A, a big a big staple of professional wrestling to their brand of wrestling um, 
in the the very southern regional world championship wrestling and this event was headlined with him and the nature boy rick flair for the wcw world heavyweight title but a lot of change was taking place in wcw at that time eric bischoff had just about a year under his belt as the executive producer of wcw he was making a lot of changes they were filming television at disney mgm studios um they were they were you know, phasing in more pay-per-views and phasing out Clash of the Champion events. Um, he was trimming the fat anywhere he could, but he was trying to make some smart business decisions to really put WCW on a mainstream level. Hulk Hogan was a big proponent um, in, in, in that as well. So uh, this event is, is really, to me, in my opinion, is like the beginning of change for WCW. A, I wouldn't say a rebranding of sorts, but like somewhat of a coming out party. It's like, here we are to the world. We're the new WCW. We're not what we used to be. So come check us out. We got Hulk Hogan. We got Ric Flair. We got so many great stars. The future of WCW is right here. The future of wrestling is right here in WCW. Come check us out. So, um... Yeah, that's what that's that's what 1994 and at least this Bash at the Beach event had exemplified for me personally. Um, so let's get into it. Let's get into the card here. Um, there's uh, there's six matches on the pay per view, and um, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan were on commentary. Jesse Ventura dipped his toes in the commentary water a little bit during this time period, but he wasn't involved in every single match on this show. Um, he had some issues with management, and of course he had a long standing issue with. Hulk Hogan still does to this day more than likely because Jesse knows how to hold a grudge that's for sure um, he's probably holding out for a big payday to settle that grudge because that's how old school he is but um, yeah this event uh, began with Lord Steven Regal defeating Johnny B. Bad in a world television title match these two guys have had uh, at the time in 1994 had traded some uh so, some victories over one another and some non-title bouts and another title match or two on episodes of Worldwide and Main Event and Pro and even Saturday, WCW Saturday Night. And this was before there was such thing as a WCW Nitro. This was before the war really got started. Um, so these two guys have had some competitive matches with each other, and it was no different here. Regal coming up the victor um, in a very hard-fought battle. Um, I remember watching this and... Going back and watching this and doing research for this show today, um, you know, the one thing that was distracting for me was the confetti that Johnny B. Bad had, you know, shot out of that bad blaster. It was like all over the ring, and the guys were like wearing like these the the glitter and all the other stuff that came out of this this air gun or whatever you want to call it, the bad blaster, so to speak. So I've, I I I remember that and feeling very distracted, trying to maybe it's the OCD in me was like, you know, could someone take that? piece of glitter off his back or that big shiny sticker off his butt cheek you know um yeah i know it's a little stupid for me to you know say but you know that that was just my ocd at the time so um uh you know let's 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 play role reversal let's trade places like we do here on kicking out at two um let's say that steven regal did not retain his wcw world television title over johnny b bad and johnny b bad comes up the victor as the TV champion. Where does Johnny B. Bad go from here? Um, to be perfectly honest with you, in 1994, Johnny B. Bad was just kind of floating around wherever they felt they needed him. Um, he he had that, that throwaway match with Diamond Dallas Page at the Spring Stampede 1994 event. And in that trading places scenario, um, you know, I envisioned, you know, Johnny B. Bad having a 
a, a role in the television title picture, and here we are in this situation. Um, he was a popular character. People got into him. His matches were fun, even though I didn't really care for the whole, you know, Little Richard knockoff. Um, Johnny B. Bad as the world television champion in 1994 is definitely something doable, reasonable, plausible for, for the landscape of WCW at that time. Um, moving forward, if he were to have won the world television title, um, I could see him mixing it up with the likes of Regal again, having another series of matches. Um, I could see him mixing it up with someone like an Arn Anderson, who was probably the godfather of the television title for WCW and the NWA. Um, I could see him mixing it up with stunning Steve Austin, who at the time was the United States champion. And I'll get into him in a little bit. Um, I don't see Johnny B. Bad really skyrocketing to the top, but I see Johnny B. Bad be, be, being a um, like a mechanic on the card as the television champion. You know what you got with him. You're going to get him out there to pump up the crowd and excite the audience and put on some good matches with certain guys. Uh, you know, I could even see him in DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, having a, a rivalry for the for the world television title. So. He, he's not short on challengers, but like I said, I don't think in 1994, considering the landscape of WCW, um, that Johnny B. Bad was going to really shoot to the top of the mountain um, after this world title victory, world TV title victory. But um, he would certainly be in the mix and a staple for the company on television moving forward. And, uh, you know, luck be have it. He did have a run with that television title against the Honky Tonk Man towards the end of 1994. Honky Tonk Man was an, uh, a newly... Uh, acquired talent for WCW, uh, heavily influenced uh, signing uh, from Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan had pushed for his arrival into World Championship Wrestling, from what I heard, from what I remember. And so, um, you know, yeah, I mean, my like I said, Johnny B. Bad, World TV Champion. Eventually he would get it after this in real life. But trading places, if he were to win it at Bash at the Beach, he's not short on challengers, but he's not... Um, he, he's not shooting very far up the card, let's just say. So that's where I stand with that. As far as where Regal goes, I mean, Regal was such a good bad guy, he could kind of work with just about anybody. Um, you know, I mean, maybe moving Regal out of this, um, the, the, the TV title situation and moving him into a, a, a role higher up on the card, like against someone like a Ricky Steamboat, they had history for the TV title. Um a year prior, uh, maybe even Regal and Sting. You know what I mean? Sting was Sting was uh, you know not on this card. He was not a part of this event. So um, maybe you know a Johnny B. Bad victory, winning the TV title. He celebrates Regal and Jeeves, uh, the the manager who was played by um, uh, Bill Dundee, probably uh, uh, gives Johnny B. Bad a post match beatdown and. To give Sting a spot in the show, he comes out and saves Johnny B. Bad, and you set up him and Regal towards the end of 1994. Something that I think could be could be rather interesting. Um, they had a, a one-off in 96 um, at the Great American Bash, and I thought that was rather odd and strange, but um, I don't know why they've put those two together considering you know the landscape at that time in 96. But in 94... Um, that could, you know, Sting didn't have anything to do for that pay-per-view. So, I mean, an appearance for him, a cameo to make the save and do a run-in post-match, setting up him and Regal, 
that would have been rather interesting. I, I, I would have I gotten behind that for sure in 1994. Uh, moving on here, we have Vader defeating the Guardian Angel. Now, the Guardian Angel, who was once known as the boss, Ray Trailer, Big Bubba, the big boss man, um, he made his entry into WCW earlier that year as the boss. He was the special referee in the Thunderdome cage with Vader and Flair at Super Brawl 1994 in February, and they had some physical interactions with each other, and that's where things got started between Vader and the boss. That shifted over to Spring Stampede, 1994, and um, the boss and Vader once again issues unresolved uh, to the point where you know WCW commissioner, um, chairman of the executive committee, Nick Bockwinkle at the time had stripped the boss of his identity and told him he's not allowed to use the nightstick. He's not even allowed to call himself the boss um, due to his post-match actions using the nightstick on Vader and Harley Race. So um, he would morph into the Guardian Angel. And uh, for those of you that are familiar or unfamiliar with the Guardian Angels, they're very similar to um, like a biker club, but without motorcycles. Um, that kind of environment and that vibe, they're, they're their own outlaws, so to speak, but they, they're not, as, not in a very criminal manner, as, as some may categorize some biker clubs. Now, I don't want to, you know, be disrespectful to those that are a part of biker clubs and the bike culture itself, but they do, you know, some bike clubs do have a negative connotation to it. Uh, but the, the, the very brotherhood like atmosphere of the guardian angels at that time in the nineties, uh, was similar to a biker club. Um, but just in, in under different circumstances. So, um, you know, boss man, Bubba, Ray trailer, whatever you want to call him. He, um, he, uh, he transformed into the Guardian Angel, and he still had his issues with Vader. And these two guys had a pretty hard-hitting match, and Vader would come out the victor, which wasn't much of a surprise because Vader was a big name in WCW at the time. However, what if the Guardian Angel were to have picked up the victory over the man they call Vader, Big Van Vader, in 1994? Um... It would it, it it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Uh, maybe some kind of disqualification where Vader um, uses a chair or Vader doesn't break a hold and the referee you know counts to five and you know calls for the bell or Vader roughs up a referee for no reason um, out of anger uh, for the referee getting too involved in the match as he was trying to get the best of the guardian angel. I mean, there's, there's plenty of different possibilities. You can, you can go here. Um, but what does it do for the guardian angel? Uh, in the short term, not much. I mean, I'm, I'm a victory over Vader knowing the, the Vader character. Vader would certainly want his revenge and certainly want another opportunity at him. Um, would it catapult him to any kind of title status? Uh, no, I don't think so. If anything, the only championship I could see the Guardian Angel competing for in WCW at the time was probably the TV title. But the TV title was also looked at as like the workhorse title too. So um, very similar to what the Intercontinental title was. Um, you didn't see too many uh, guys that were um, of the stature of a Ray Trailer um, competing for a title like that. But if Regal were to have still kept the title and let's say the Guardian Angel were to have defeated Vader, maybe, just maybe, we would have seen a TV title 
opportunity for him. Something short-term, but not very long-term, at least in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I don't see Ray Trailer, the Guardian Angel, his trajectory, shooting him very far up the card um, and moving forward. Like I said, short-term, it would probably... It would probably... His issues with Vader would still continue. Um, and... Judging by what history told us with Vader defeating the Guardian Angel, they certainly did continue. Um, they had a, a, a match at WCW Fall Brawl 1994, a triangle match with Sting, where the winner would become the number one contender for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Um, and Vader ended up winning that one. So, um, But their issues didn't continue there, and they moved on to, to uh, Halloween Havoc later that year. So... Regardless of a win or a loss, maybe a win would have been nice for the Guardian Angels so that now they were kind of even at one apiece. And then maybe the singles match that they would have at Halloween Havoc would be that tiebreaker, so to speak, the rubber match. But, um, yeah, Ray Trailer in this situation, not really, uh, not, yeah, not, not, I don't really see him moving too far. And the, the issues with Vader at that time as the Guardian Angel would continue. Um, Vader suffering a loss here wouldn't do much for him, um, or to him, I should say. He um, Vader was the kind of guy that even if he lost, um, he his defeats were were looked at as um, not necessarily flukes, but like you know, Vader was such a big, intimidating, posing guy that like the the, the loss was shrugged off very quickly and he would he would he would bounce back pretty quickly so you know i could see a vader victor a vader loss here leading to you know an attack on the guardian angel whether it's at the next wcw saturday night or leading to a clash of champions of some sorts um him kind of getting his heat back there and continuing this feud with the guardian angel um this is a rather interesting trading places scenario as bunkhouse buck and terry funk faced off against Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson um, at Bash at the Beach 1994. This stems back from Dustin having issues with Colonel Robert Parker and Parker just kind of throwing anyone in his way to really stop him. It started with Steve Austin. It continued with Bunkhouse Buck. Then Terry Funk got into the mix and Dustin didn't have anyone to watch his back um, in his war with Colonel Robert Parker. So... Um, the, uh, the situation here that was presented was that Dustin was looking for a partner and he looked to someone that um, he knew could get the job done and that he knew could be that could get just as down and dirty as Terry Funk and Colonel Parker and Bunkhouse Buck. And that was Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson uh, had just returned uh, a number of months prior um, after suffering that serious um, uh, stabbing injury from Sid Vicious in the in the hotel room that you know resulted in both men having to go to the hospital so Arn Anderson was back you know a few months prior and uh kind of an island unto himself so to speak even though he kind of had a loose association with Ric Flair really wasn't doing a whole lot so um seeing Arn Anderson team with Dustin Rhodes knowing the history that Anderson has with Dustin Rhodes' father Dusty on television was a rather interesting dynamic and they kind of brought that up in the buildup, but um, you know this match saw Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck become the victors due to Arn Anderson's betrayal of Dustin Rhodes in the match. He had turned on Dustin, um, and 
There wasn't any real rhyme or reason behind Arn betraying Dustin. It was more so of a case of, you know, Arn accepting who he was as an individual and that, you know, I'm a bad guy. I do bad things and you should know better not to trust someone like me. Just ask your father. And it made sense and it worked and it it came out of nowhere, but it wasn't one of those where it was like, well, why the hell did they do that? It was, oh, wow. Like now I'm looking forward to, to not only figuring out why he did that, but what's going to happen after this. And, you know, Arn, like I said, he ended up joining Colonel Robert Parker and his stud stable with Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. And they would go on to torment Dustin Rhodes and continue um, <clears throat> continue the, uh, the, the, the rivalry between Dustin and Colonel Parker's stud stable. Um, and Dustin was really kind of an island unto himself once again. Eventually he would have to resort to... Uh, uh, calling his father out of retirement to help him um, face off against these guys. So uh, let's just say that um, let's just say history wasn't very kind to Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck in this situation. And Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson did win this match and they were victorious. Where does Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson go from here? Well, um, they're certainly not done with Colonel Parker and his stud stable. That's for sure. Um, they don't have um, the they they don't have really anyone lined up, and they're not going to be like a, a a tag team to 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 compete in the tag team ranks. Even though they would probably be a pretty sound tag team, they're not going to be um, you know vying for the tag team championships at this time. But Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson, the trajectory of these two individuals, probably still the, um, the, the, the targets for Colonel Parker and the stud stable. Now, could I see the Arn Anderson turn on Dustin down the line? Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe, maybe instead of Dustin reaching out to Dusty, um, you know, maybe Arn and Dustin have that tag match at Clash of Champions against Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk in a rematch, and we see... Um, you know, Arn turn on him then. Maybe some miscommunication between the two in the match, resulting in Arn saying, you know what, fuck this, I don't need him. I've been fine on my own. Um, you know, bing, bang, boom, DDT. And, you know, he, he joins the stud stable, um, turning on Dustin Rhodes. And then maybe that's when you lead to Dusty. Or you could, you know, keep them, you know, keep Dustin and, and Arn um, in that same position, in that same match, but you bring Dusty back, and it's a six-man. And Dusty's the kind of the one that's like, you know, son, you know, this guy was a, a, an evil, you know, person back in the day. He was, my, he was one of my most heated rivals, an enemy. How can you trust him? You know, I, I have to team with you guys to make sure that you don't get hurt. And you could execute the turn with Arn Anderson there. Maybe Arn turning on Dusty and Dustin being like, what the hell, man? And then Arn turning on Dustin and the stud stable kind of having uh, their way with the Rhodes family. And Arn Anderson's introduction into the stud stable. So I wasn't, I didn't have a problem with hot-shotting this turn from Arn Anderson in 1994. I certainly don't because... And like I said, he his character at the time just rationalized this turn as like, I'm a bad dude. I do bad things. And Dustin Rhodes, you should have known better. You you know, you you stepped you you stepped way out of your comfort zone. 
um, thinking that, you know, you, I was someone you were able to trust and, and now you're paying for it. So, uh, I, I liked it and it, it brought a, it added another twist and more, um, <clears throat> the odds stacked against Dustin even more in this story with him in the stud stable. But, um, it would, it would certainly lead us to war games that what we saw that year in 94, um, you know, the same trajectory, Arn eventually becoming a part of the stud stable, Dustin, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to Dusty, and then eventually reaching out to the Nasty Boys, who did not have a role on this on this pay-per-view. Um, they were not a part of this show. But, um, yeah, I don't see, I don't see things really changing too much when it comes to the uh, the the trajectory for Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson maybe you know executing the turn later but we'll get back to where we got back to and that was Arn a part of the stud stable and against the Rhodes family and the Nasty Boys blowing that off at the War Games match at the Fall Brawl '94 pay per view event. Um, here's an interesting one: um, two guys who had great chemistry together. Mixed it up for the United States Championship. They had some. They had a run against each other a couple of years prior for the TV title when this individual was a member of the Dangerous Alliance. I'm referring to Stunning Steve Austin and his opponent, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And this match was for the United States Championship. And history showed us that Steve Austin had defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now let's rewind back just a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Steamboat was vying for the World Heavyweight Championship against Ric Flair at the Spring Stampede 94 event, and it was stunning Steve Austin who had secured a victory over Steamboat um, on a ma- in a match on TV prior to Steamboat's um, title match with Flair, thus resulting in Austin feeling like he deserved an opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship with Ric Flair. Um eventually Steamboat would get his opportunity back and defeat Austin and then go on to Spring Stampede. But these two guys had some unresolved issues following uh, the Spring Stampede event um, after Steamboat and Flair went to that no-contest finish. Um, Yeah, history showed us Austin would end up defeating Steamboat and retaining the United States Championship. However, what if Bash at the Beach 1994... And history was kinder to one Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What if Ricky the Dragon Steamboat were to have defeated Stunning Steve Austin to become the WCW United States Champion? Now, you have to remember here, okay? Um, the, uh, the United States Championship was the secondary title in WCW. However, it was also recognized as the automatic number one contender to the World Heavyweight Championship if you held the United States title. So at that time, Steve Austin technically was the number one contender. However, that was something that really wasn't acknowledged on television because of his rivalry with Steamboat and because of where they were going with Hogan and Flair and Hogan's introduction to WCW. Um, So you have here... um, You have here the... uh, the, the, the match between these two, very hard-hitting, fun match. They have great chemistry with each other, even though Steamboat was getting up there in age and uh, injuries were starting to, to, to show with his in-ring ability. Um, him and Austin uh, put out a great match here at this event. Um, but had Steamboat won the United States Championship, 
Where does Ricky the Dragon Steamboat go from here in 1994? Where does Steve Austin go from here in 1994? Um, Steamboat as the United States champion, um, very similar to Johnny B. Bad. Um, I could see him not being short on challengers of the like with the likes of you know a rematch with Steve Austin and Arn Anderson who was a part of the Stud Stable, um, a, a, a Stephen Regal who was the TV champion at this time. Um, you know, even, you know, the, 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 the challengers to the WCW tag titles in the next match, uh, pretty wonderful. Um, Paul Orndorff, not Paul Romo, but Paul Orndorff. I could see him, you know, in Steamboat, uh, mixing it up for the, the United States championship. Um, Steam, like I said, Steamboat would not be short on challenges. Flying Brian Pillman at that time, who, um, really had, uh, taken a hiatus from WCW for reasons unknown, um, he had history with Steamboat, and him and Steamboat, I think, would have been a great United States championship rivalry between the two. A returning Brian Pillman looking for, looking to regain momentum in WCW going after, um, you know, the, the United States championship and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, if, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve Steamboat's trajectory here um, for when I discuss the main event because... He could play a part in in the discussion when it comes to the trading places scenario with Hogan and Flair. Um, Steve Austin's path, if he were to have lost the United States Championship, a rematch with Steamboat is very plausible. Um, whether that being at a, at a Clash of Champions or a WCW Saturday Night, um, I could see something like that going down. Um, I, I don't see him pivoting too far away uh, from the United States Championship picture. Maybe... Uh, maybe another run against a Brian Pillman. If Brian Pillman were not to have been the one to go after Ricky Steamboat and his new United States title, maybe Steam or Austin and Pillman renew their rivalry. You know, I mentioned him earlier, and um, he could be another one that's that that he could be a, he could be an individual that's used as a as another bounce back rivalry for the loser of this match. I'm talking about Sting. You know, I brought up the idea that Sting maybe makes a run-in post-match with Regal, um, you know, stopping Regal and Jeeves from further injuring the new TV champion, Johnny B. Bad. Um, maybe Sting and Steve Austin lock horns, you know. Um, I'm not saying that Sting would, would, would come down post-match and confront Steve Austin, but maybe something on WCW Saturday night where, you know, Austin... Tries for an opportunity at the United States title, and he's calling Steamboat out, and he gets Sting, and Sting's like, well, you know, maybe I deserve a shot at the U.S. title, you know? I wasn't even on the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view event. Maybe you gotta go through me if you want another opportunity at the U.S. title. Um, yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for 1994. It really doesn't, um, because... Um, you know, Steve Austin was still valued at that time, at least in my eyes, with management as a um, not, not only just a mechanic on the card, but someone with some importance, a, a placeholder on the card, so to speak. You knew what you were getting with him at that time as stunning Steve Austin. Um, and 
1994, I could see his ceiling reaching Sting. Like, that's his top right there. Um, and that's, like, the company's reward to him for working hard. It's like, you know, give Sting something to do, but also at the same time um, reward Austin for his hard work um, throughout the years in WCW and putting him in a, a semi-main event kind of role with with Sting. Um, you know, Austin seemed to have kind of pivoted away from uh, Colonel Robert Parker. He didn't have as much association. It was kind of loose uh, because Parker was pretty busy with his stud stable. But maybe, maybe a loss um, for Steve Austin would result in the stud stable dumping him. Maybe, and here's an interesting scenario, maybe Austin is th- a newly formed ally for Dustin Rhodes after the stable dumps him. Maybe Dustin looks to him and says, we've had our wars, and you know Parker better than anyone. You know, I I, I don't want to do this, but I need to do this because I need to find someone to have my back. I've always, I was already burned once by Arn Anderson. You know, please be my partner. Um, maybe we see the beginning stages of a Steve Austin babyface turn. That scenario there, that's just me wishful thinking. That's not realistically where I could see them go. I could, I, I mean, I've, I've thrown a lot of these scenarios out there, but that's probably the least likely of them all. Is 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 giving Steve Austin a a um, a, a babyface run in the mid card with Dustin Rhodes? I could see a Steve Austin Sting rivalry more than I could see Steve Austin being a, an ally to Dustin Rhodes against the Stud Stable. So um, that's where I look at Austin's trajectory having lost the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, uh, or WCW United States Championship, excuse me. And like I said, Steamboat, I'll get into him in a little bit when we discuss the main event. Um, Let's move on to the, I wouldn't call this the co-main event, but this is the second-to-last match on the card. Um, It was for the WCW World Tag Team titles, as Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan defended those titles against Pretty Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Pretty Paul Roma, Um, a newly formed team in WCW. uh, Orndorff was, it looked like from where I was sitting, my vantage point is that, um, they were trying to capitalize on on uh, you know Orndorff's um, credibility and his experience, teaming him up with someone like Aroma, who was young, who had a good look to him. I wouldn't say he was the greatest wrestler in the world. I wouldn't even say he had a ton of potential, but I feel like they wanted him to have potential uh, based off of what they saw he had in a tag team role with Hercules as a part of Power and Glory in the WWF. So, um, you know... Roma had a shot, at least in WCW, uh, when it came to his time with Paul Orndorff. People will always remember him as being a member of the Four Horsemen, and it's an embarrassment to the Horseman name and the gimmick, and why would they put Paul Roma in that group? I can understand the logic behind it. They're trying to make him, they're trying to give him the rub, but it didn't work. Um, I think this was probably a more acceptable role with him and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in a tag team. Uh, Roma here and Orndorff would end up winning this match and defeating Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan for the WCW World Tag Team titles. Now, um, history saw that Cactus and Sullivan would then begin a rivalry between the two of them um, that would culminate in a in a uh, 
a Loser Leaves Town match at the WCW Fall Brawl event later that year, uh, just a couple of months later in September. And Wonderful and Orndorff would move on to have, you know, be the, be the, the, the top of the heap in WCW's dwindling tag team division at that time because their tag team division was... It was the shits. It really was. It was not. It was not pretty at all. I mean, you had the nasty boys. You had Cactus and Sullivan, pretty wonderful. Um, eventually, you would see Stars and Stripes with Bagwell and the Patriot. Um, you would eventually see uh, you know, Harlem Heat, uh, but they didn't really have a whole lot of depth to the tag team division. Um, there was some. There was a, a couple of bright spots, and the rest of it was just kind of eh, like take it or leave it. So in this case, Orndorff and Roma won, defeating Cactus and Sullivan. Like I said, Sullivan and Cactus would move on to having issues of their own. Roma and Orndorff would be the staples of the division, and they weren't short on challengers to say the least. However, I will go on to say that um, if the roles were reversed and if we were to trade places with. Uh, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan retaining the WCW uh, World Tag Team titles. Um, this is an interesting trajectory for them as champions. Uh, where do they go from here? Um, you know, they already had a, a pretty intense rivalry with the Nasty Boys. Um, you know, pretty wonderful. Wasn't, in my opinion... Um, I, I didn't like the, 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 the mix of styles between them with Cactus and Sullivan, so um, I, I can't see them. I could see a rematch happening, but then that's that's really about it. I don't see this going any longer. Um, the most realistic uh, trajectory for Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan as WCW Tag Team Champions um, is probably against Colonel Parker's stud stable, Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. Um, Foley and Funk having history. Um, Funk and Buck uh, being very having very similar styles to Sullivan and and Cactus, very Smash Mouth brawler type wrestlers. Um, I could just imagine the, the the matches between these two teams, very similar to what Cactus and Max Payne had with the Nasty Boys, and um, you know Nasty Boys had uh, you know recently had turned babyface, so. Um, I can't see Cactus and Sullivan uh, mixing it up with them, but I could realistically look at Cactus and Sullivan as allies for Dustin Rhodes against his war with the stud stable, which kind of goes back to that a little bit. Um, you know, Dusty Rhodes interjecting himself into the situation, you know, trying to warn Dustin, can you trust these guys? You know, I, 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 I think you can trust Cactus, but I don't know if you can trust Kevin Sullivan. I've had wars with Kevin Sullivan, um, you know, and, and, and the devilish mind games that he plays. Like, you know, I could just picture it right now, like Dustin, baby, you know, Cactus, he's a good man. He's a family man. You can trust Cactus Jack as crazy as he is, but can you really, really, really trust the, the devilish Kevin Sullivan? I mean, I don't know, Dustin, I, you know, let me be in your corner. Let me be your partner if you will let me let me let me ride this out with you and we, and we fuck Colonel Robert Parker and his stud stable Terry Funk Bunkhouse Buck Arn Anderson and, and we put a beating on them boys you know we we, they, we, we, we we take it to the limit if you will they, they go, we gonna ride to that stratosphere with Colonel Robert Parker and the stud stable don't don't call on Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack let me do it for you um 
Yeah, I can I can picture that. I could realistically picture that in 1994. Uh, however, um, I could also realistically picture Cactus and Sullivan not going um, after Funk and uh, Buck and being an ally to Dustin Rhodes because they didn't seem like they were very, they didn't seem like they were poised to be good long term tag team champions. Uh, they seemed to be in a very transitional phase, um, and so. Cactus and Sullivan, the only way I could see them keeping the belts and moving forward is if they were to be a part of Dustin Rhodes' fight against Colonel Robert Parker's stud stable. But at the same time, I'm also 50% on the other side that maybe the loss for them was best for them and they had to move on and face each other and, and have issues with each other to lead to that Loser Leaves Town match. So if you want to go with a serious trajectory... Um, Let's just stick with the idea that they're going to keep the belts and move on and fight the war with Dustin Rhodes uh, against uh, the, the, the Colonel Robert Parker and his stud stable. Now, what happens to Pretty Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful Paul Odorf and Pretty Paul Roma um, after suffering this loss, not getting an opportunity at the tag team titles? Um, don't see a whole lot going on with them, to be honest with you. Really don't. They, they didn't seem to be a real important part of the show. They just kind of gave them something to do, at least in my opinion, as tag team champions um, and in the tag team scene. But maybe I could see something with Harlem Heat or maybe they have a, a, a short little rivalry with the Nasty Boys. Maybe they they want a, another crack at the titles, but the Nasty Boys are in their way. Or, you know, like I said, uh, you know, maybe they maybe they split up from this. Maybe, you know, Roma... You know, they, they try to do something in a singles role with Roma, and Roma turns on the veteran Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and the two of them go after each other. Um, you know, that that there, that's another that's another scenario that realistically I can't see happening um, because Roma at that time needed someone like Paul Orndorff. Um, so I, I feel like the two of them would just kind of flounder. They really wouldn't amount to much as a team had they not won these tag team titles. If anything, they needed to win the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Um, yeah, so I, I leave you with that. I leave you with, you know, where I stand when it comes to the, the, the trajectory of both teams um, had Cactus and Sullivan won the WCW Tag Team titles over pretty wonderful Paul Roman, which now brings us to the main event. Of this event, WCW Bash at the Beach 1994. We kind of talked about a, that a little bit in our Spring Stampede 94 trading places. Like I said, covering a lot of 94, brought the, the, the WCW pay-per-views to the trading places concept. Um, 94, as much as that get, gets lumped into a lot of bad shit with, in between 93 and 95... Wrestling in 94 had some bright spots and some some underrated gems, and I think a lot of the stuff in WCW, as well as some stuff in WWF, um, gets overlooked because it's kind of uh, sandwiched in between the two, probably two of the worst years financially for the business as a whole um, and creatively as well. I'm talking about 93 and 95. So um, let, let's get into it here. Um, Flair retained the WCW title um, and he would eventually merge that championship after defeating Sting in a unification match at the Clash of Champions in June of 94 just a month prior 
Um, Hogan would make his TV debut in WCW on that event, um, getting involved in the finish at the end, kind of chasing Flair off. Flair walked into that match as a good guy, and with the involvement of Sensational Sherry, uh, who was making her WCW uh, debut, um, she, uh, you know, she she was backing Ric Flair in his corner. You know, Hogan coming in. They had to make Flair a bad guy. They couldn't have Hogan and Flair as the two top good guys because it just wouldn't make sense. Um, naturally, they would work better as you know Hogan is the baby face and Ric Flair is the heel. Uh, it's just the way it is. So we get to this point. It's the main event. Hogan's pay-per-view debut. He automatically gets a title shot at Ric Flair, the undisputed WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Um, Bash at the Beach, 1994. Hogan gets the, the ticker tape parade treatment. Uh, they, they, they televise the contract signing with Ted Turner there, uh, making it real big time of Hogan signing with WCW and the match with him and Flair at this event. Um, they're really building up Hogan's arrival into WCW. Is it shaking the foundation and the core of the company? It had some. It had an effect on some of the results of, uh, you know, Spring Stampede 1994. And you could check out my thoughts on that in the archives over at um, Retro Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Search Spring Stampede 1994 Trading Places as we discuss flip-flop results from that event and how it would affect this event here for Bash of the Beach 1994. Um, yeah, I mean, Hogan's arrival was made to be a big deal. And like I said at the beginning of this recording, uh, Bischoff's involvement in bringing him in and changing WCW and changing the perception of WCW was uh, a major point of turning the thing around for the company. Um, like I said, this was the, the 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 coming out party for WCW, if you will, to all of you know mainstream media and the wrestling world. That you know Hulk Hogan's a part of this. We're a big deal now. So you know it's a big deal. They, they built the matchup to be a big deal. Shaq was the official belt holder i believe i believe shaq was you know uh, advertised as the guy who's going to hand the world championship over to the winner um hogan had mr t in his corner along with uh the mouth of the south jimmy hart which i as a good guy for hulk hogan i never liked jimmy hart with him i always you know recognized jimmy hart as this little weasel of a manager and this little pipsqueak and you know the, the, this little mosquito that i just couldn't get rid of he was so annoying and putting him in hulk hogan's corner and i didn't like it when they did it in wwe and I didn't like it when they had you know their time together in WCW. I didn't think Hulk Hogan, as a good guy, needed this big gigantic entourage with him. You know what I mean? Um, I just didn't like it in 1994. But I liked the prospects of Hogan and Flair because this was the match that we all wanted to see for WrestleMania eight in 1992 just two years prior they had worked some some live events together um and we've talked about that and the the prospects of what could have been with that main event for that wrestlemania that year in 92 actually we talked about that on our mania game changers episode earlier this year in february you can find that over in the archives at retro mania pro wrestling podcast network as well as on the kicking out of two social media pages both on facebook and twitter Twitter, um, WCW had the it had had the biggest coup of them all um, at that time, signing Hulk Hogan and delivering that dream match that wrestling fans really didn't get a chance to see. Not many people knew that that match took place on live events in 1992 for the WWF, but 
Um, they they were going to get to see it on pay-per-view on a grand scale for Bash at the Beach. And this match, in my opinion, really helped establish Bash at the Beach as one of the, uh, the, the, the tentpole events, as Eric Bischoff would say, for World Championship Wrestling. You had Halloween Havoc, Starcade, and I believe Bash at the Beach is right up there in the top three as, as the, one of their, their major pay-per-view events of the year. And I think Hogan and Flair... Um, especially at this event, really helped make that all possible. So, let's get into it. Let's trade places when it comes to the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. History saw that Hulk Hogan would win and become the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Ric Flair decisively in an unbelievable match. It was a great match. Uh, People in Orlando were on their feet. Um, This was a a great way to debut Hulk Hogan um, in WCW. First match in, beats the the, the top guy, wins the title. A lot of people may look at me and say to me, like, what are you talking about? Like, he, you know, you had the top guy job to him on his way in the door, and, you know, at, at the time... I could understand why WCW did that. They were trying to reestablish themselves and rebrand themselves as a as a a mainstream presentation in the world of professional wrestling. And to do that, they had to have Hulk Hogan as their figurehead, as the champion. So right off the bat, I understand completely why they did it. Um, however, what if what if Hulk Hogan did not leave? Orlando, Florida, as the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Let's explore the possibilities, shall we? Um, You know, him and Flair were going at it for a couple of months, back and forth on television. And, uh, you know, Flair had just acquired the WCW World Heavyweight title um, in that undisputed uh, unification match with Sting at that Clash of Champions. And so Flair didn't really have the title for very long. Um, well, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because he won the WCW World Heavyweight title from Vader earlier that year, but then, or in 93, I should say, defended it a few times, and then we got to this point. Um, he defeated Sting in the unification match when Sting was the international champion, and it led to uh, him and uh, Hogan here at Bash at the Beach. But, however, um, as what as we saw with history following this match, Hogan defeating Flair and winning the title... Um, it seemed to be very convoluted and, uh, you know, following this. You had Flair and Hogan have a rematch at the Clash of Champions, and Hogan lost via a countout because they did, an, they did the Tanya Harding angle where they had someone attack Hogan's knee, and he was injured before the match began, and Flair would end up winning with a countout. And then the rubber match was a steel cage match at Halloween Havoc 1994, inside of a steel cage, uh, and both men's careers were on the line. Um, Which, by the way, we're going to cover that event in Trading Places form coming up in October for the 25th anniversary of that Halloween Havoc event. We're going to cover Halloween Havoc 1994 and play role reversal just like we're doing with this Bash at the Beach 1994. Um, But anyhow, um, you know, the the traditional trajectory, you, you could say, amongst many wrestling critics and fans out there is that, you know, um, one guy wins the first match, the other guy wins the rematch, and then you have the rubber match with both guys having a win apiece going into the, um, the pay-per-view, the, 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 the final match, the blow-off. Now, you kind of had that. Hogan won this one, but then Flair won via a count-out the last one, and then the final one came you know, in the cage, and then Hogan would end up winning. But Flair never had the title after Bash at the Beach. So, um, 
you uh, you could go a couple of different routes here with this. You can go um, you can go. Flair gets himself disqualified to keep the title, and Hogan wins. Hogan gets his heat back. He beats him down, as Bruce Pritchard would say. Hogan must pose, and then you know you sit. You have enough reason to to have a rematch because even though Hogan won, Flair cheated or Flair got himself disqualified, and he's still the champion. Hogan should get another opportunity at the title. Um, which this is where Ricky Steamboat comes into play. So let's say Flair in 1994 got himself disqualified. Leaves Bash at the beach with the title, but Hogan, they, they do the big celebration at the end. He wins, but doesn't win the title, so on and so forth. And then you get to, you know, Ricky Steamboat, who's the United States champion, the number one contender for the WCW World Heavyweight title. You could realistically put those two in a match at Clash of the Champions with the winner then facing Hulk Hogan for the title at the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Um, Steamboat could be like a little stopgap for Flair to kind of build more momentum for Flair going into the rubber, going into the 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 blow-off match at Halloween Havoc. Um, you could you could go a uh, you could go, Christ, you know. Um, let me think about this for a minute here. You know, there's that that's one avenue. The other avenue is is that Flair cheats to win. Let's say. Arn Anderson plays a role in this and helps Flair win. Um, brass knuckles, referee's distracted. Flair uses them. Foot on the rope. One, two, three. Flair steals the victory. Now, realistically, in 1994, I don't think they would want that because I think they they had a plan for not only rebranding the company but Hulk Hogan being the figurehead of that. And and as the champion, that was the most ideal situation. Um, so Hogan losing clean, or in, I shouldn't say clean, but in, in screw job fashion, it would make people want to see Hogan and Flair again. However, his first night in the company, that's a little bit tricky. That's touchy. Um, that's something I don't think realistically WCW would have pulled the trigger on at the time. Um, but however, I do feel like um, Hogan, Hogan, Getting the victory but losing, but not winning the championship, and then getting a rematch with Flair down the line is a, is a realistic path because, you know, the celebration of Hogan being a part of WCW, he came up short, but you 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 build towards Hogan chasing after Flair. You have the babyface chase the heel, and that's been a traditional um, booking uh, strategy amongst all wrestling bookers and writers or whatever you want to call them throughout the history of professional wrestling. Um, so that's something in 1994 that I think is, is plausible. Um, but realistically, um, the, 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 I understand, I, I, I kind of go back to Hogan winning the title, understanding why they did that and when, and why they went with that finish. So you have that there. Um, but you know, just to kind of wrap things up here with this trading places scenario, Flair went, Flair keeps the title but loses. Hogan celebrates. He's got more ammunition to get another opportunity at the championship. Let's say they have that rematch at Clash of Champions. Hogan wins the title, okay, on the Clash, on free TV, okay? 
Um, that would be something WCW would do because they weren't exactly smart when it came to stuff like that. They would give away a title match for free on TV instead of making us pay for it on pay-per-view. Um, and then maybe that sets up the rematch with Hogan and Flair where Hogan puts his title on the line at Halloween Havoc and Flair, who is desperate to win back his title, puts his career on the line. And it's title versus career. And then, you know, Hogan gets the victory over Flair in the cage, sending Flair off instead of having both guys put their careers on the line. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the the path that I feel like um, could be a, a more reasonable route for Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan at this event. We all saw what we saw, and it's still made for great wrestling history and still stuff to really ponder. But, you know, all the what-ifs, the whodunits and whys um, is, is, is all about the Trading Places scenario here on Kicking Out It Too. I'd like to thank you guys also very, very much for uh, joining me for this one-year celebration of Kicking Out It Too with the Bash at the Beach 1994 Trading Places series. We're going to continue this celebration um, because, like I said to you, last year I gave you guys a WCW Bash at the Beach watch-along as a part of the pilot episode. This year I gave you a Trading Places Bash at the Beach um, from, from 1994, but next week we're going to continue with the bash at the beach theme and we're going to cover um one of the more unique and interesting wcw bash at the beach events in history when we do a special watch party a kicking out at two watch party of wcw bash at the beach 1995 that's right 24 years ago um we saw hulk hogan and vader meet inside of a steel cage on huntington or on venice beach uh, literally the ring was on the beach and there was thousands of people in attendance watching this event on the beach um so yeah we're gonna sit down and watch that you know from beginning to end so have your wwe network fired up and ready to go so you can be a part of the watch party put the tv on mute listen to the alternate commentary of myself and my co-host whoever that may be next week and enjoy the wcw bash at the beach 1995 event or at least try to because this was probably one of the worst bash at the beach events in history and this is the year before we we talk about the hulk hogan nwo heel turn that that i covered on the watch of the pilot watch along last year so be on the lookout for that of course be on the lookout for more uh content over on our social media facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two hit the like button if you haven't already if you have tell a friend to hit the like button all kinds of great stuff we got going on over there as well as our twitter our handles at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two and for archived shows of kicking out of two as well as all the other great shows a part of the retro mania pro wrestling Podcast Network. Search Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and head over to Podbean where you can find an extensive library of what we have to offer from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And that about does it this week for the one year anniversary celebration of Kicking Out It Too. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Thank you so very much for being a part of it. And with that being said, it's time that we put this show down for the three count. There's no more scenarios that need to be traded. There's no more what ifs and who's and why's that we need to dissect and discover. It's time that we go home and we will see you all next week. <laughs>